Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. As we prepare to sing our first hymn, it reminds me that every hymn in our hymnal is a time machine. That as we sing the hymn's lyrics, sometimes we travel all the way back to the Big Bang, the creation of the world. Sometimes we travel all the way to the end of time, where God will gather all things to God's self. But sometimes we stop like in the mid-19th century, like with this hymn, this gospel song. If you take a deep breath, you might can smell the freshly cut sawdust up the center aisle. You can hear the ruffle uh, and rustle of the leaves and the limbs and the brush arbor above our heads. And you could uh, even feel the splinters in the split log pews because some of our pinching pews are like his <laughs> are literally historical markers. As you do so, you can feel what the gospel song feels with great passion, with great sense of experience of the holy, and great uh, love and praise for God in the refrain. That's what we'll sing. Let's stand together and sing right now. And since we have been revived again, let us uh, read in a lively way, in a responsive way, the litany of invitation and confession. We gather this morning to worship and praise God. God is the one who calls, loves, and redeems us. At the outset of creation, God decided to be for us. What a joy it is to know that we are children of the living God. We rejoice at God's love for us. May we live each day in the comfort of God's embrace. Yes, Lord, let it be so now. And for those times we fail to love and live smaller lives than God attended, we ask for God's forgiveness we pause for a moment of silent confession. Sisters and brothers, hear this good news. 
God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church, and in particular in our chapel, because during the summer months we meet in the church's original sanctuary, and so some of our folk have uh, fond memories of this place. It offers us a time to be more connected with one another and to hear the robust singing of those who sit alongside us. So welcome. Welcome especially to those of you who are our guests today. Uh, there is on the edge of your order of service a welcome card. If you take a moment to complete that, it'll help me connect name and face with you as we, uh, uh, as we worship. Also, if there is a prayer concern that you have, feel free to share that as well and drop uh, this in the offering plate when it's uh, passed. Um, that way, uh, it is an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. We have guests with us today, some all the way from Middlesboro, Kentucky. Zach Bay is here today. You remember, remember Zach. Um, <laughs> most guests don't get an applause. Uh, we ordained Zach to the gospel ministry uh, several years ago, and he's come back for a booster shot. <laughs> and so we'll be glad to do what we can what we can with that disclaimer. So welcome. Uh, we, I appreciated uh, David Rowland sharing in our church school class this morning about uh, Catholic social worker Dorothy Day. Uh, what a deep well you uh, had us drink from. Thank you so much, David. Um, the scriptures that we will have today are three. Uh, the first one you'll hear in a moment, and it will be the one from which Daniel is preaching from uh, today. It's a difficult text. It's the Old Testament uh, minor prophet of uh, Hosea. And so he'll be preaching uh, from that. Uh, the second lesson will be an epistle lesson, and then the third lesson will be the gospel lesson, which is Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. You'll recognize it, but you'll also be amazed that it stops abruptly. Uh, but we can live with that. We can live with that. Let us worship God by opening both ears and hearts to hear these words. Welcome. I'm not used to standing over on this side of the, the chancel. Uh, the illumination for the text is God names and redeems Hosea's children. I do want to offer a disclaimer as we begin this text, though. It's rated PG-13, maybe even R. So if you have small children with you today, you'll need to explain some of these words to them later this afternoon. Also, the three children of Hosea are mentioned and uh, with very peculiar names, but it's like an image of God's relationship and evolving relationship with God's children, name the children of Israel. So, anything that's not clear, Daniel will make clear in the sermon. A reading from the book of Hosea. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so Hosea went and took Gomer, the daughter of Debiam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu 
for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of, the, of, of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And so she conceived again, this time bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhami, for I will no longer have pity on the house of Israel or forgive them, but I will have pity on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God, but I will not save them by the bow or the sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Now, when she had weaned Lo-Ruhama, she conceived and bore another son, and said, and the Lord gave him the name, name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And yet the number of the people of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which can neither be measured nor numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, then it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Here ends the first lesson. Let us say our prayers. All loving God, it is hard to believe that school is once again about to start. Soon the bell will ring and the school bus will roll and kids will grab their backpacks and teachers their book bags and the rituals of reading and writing and arithmetic will commence again. Where did the summer go? For those amongst us who got to rest and relax, God bless you and them and us. For those who had to work and keep working, may Sabbath find them and us and all between the slivers of life and the splinters of effort. Oh God, we pray for our scattered flock, from nursing homes to hospice, from away to college to those who are just away. For help and healing, we pray. We pray for our country and its leaders. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Grant us wisdom and grant us courage to outfit our compassion for the long haul. Compassion that evokes charity but also compassion that calls us to confession that we, through well-intentioned charity, could actually keep injustice in place. We pray what Dorothy Day prayed, Lord, help us take small steps, but help us take many of those steps. And so we do what we must in worship. We pray. We bundle our hopes and fears of all the years. We bundle our rage and our anger and our grief. We bundle our depletion and our depression, and we wrap them in prayer, the prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We have forgiveness and freedom in Christ, and no one is to be excluded. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Colossians. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision 
by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. Here ends the second lesson. Boys and girls, if you would join me at the front. And we'll sit right down here. I guess I'll sit right over here. <laughs> I brought along some things that I've had for a long time. Some of these were made by my grandfather, and they are horns. Matter of fact, they are made out of cow horns. <laughs> I don't know if the cows missed them, but uh, he got these horns a long time ago. And you blow the horn like that, kind of like a trumpet. And uh, sometimes it's a loud sound, Levon, you know, when you blow this. Let's see if it sounds, if it sounds right. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, you want to try to blow that? I'm going to try that one. All right. Well, I'm going to blow that one in a minute. Or you can try it now. That's a different one. <laughs> well, it's pretty, it's easier than you thought. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's called the owl horn. Um, and here's, here's another one. That's right. Now, who plays a musical instrument that knows what it's like to put your lips and what the shape of the lip? What's it called? The, that's right, the embouchure. It's how your lips are shaped when you blow an instrument. Like that. And, <laughs> and now I'm going to try to blow this one. This is my favorite, and this is uh, it's called from a ram's horn, and our Jewish friends blow this. They blow it when they come to worship God, like at the first day of the year, the Rosh Hashanah, and this can, can make two different pitches. Let's see if I can do this. Let's see. That's one, and let's see if I can do a lower one. Sounds like what you did, right? Now, I'm thinking about every time we come for worship, that I start church like that. <laughs> you know, to get everybody's attention. Or if somebody is misbehaving in church, I'll go, <laughs> you know, like that. Or if somebody's going to sleep. <laughs> that sounded like a trustee laughing to me, did you? Oh, it, it blows just like the rest of them do. And so our Jewish friends use this, and it's called the shofar, the shofar. It's the blowing of the shofar. It tells, it's now time to start the year. Let's start by worshiping God. And then on another day of the year, they blow it again. It's time to work in the world and help repair the world. They, pray, they may play it when they've come to pray. They may play it when they've come to sing. And wouldn't it be something if we did the same? So anytime you hear a horn blow, 
when it's somebody might be blowing a horn on the, on the perimeter, on the road, in a car, on television, and it sounds like this. I want you to think about, pray, uh, like a train, you might be a train, a horn. Think about praising God. Think about praying to God. Think about loving God. Okay? Let's pray. God, thank you that you help remind us in the many, many ways we can give thanks to you for the gift of love and life. Amen. Amen. You can go to blow these after the service. Come do so. The disciples of Jesus ask him to teach them to pray. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, Well, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive our sins as we forgive everyone indebted to us. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, I'm on the lavalier. Can you hear me? Let's just put this thing away. Shall we start over? 
The first word spoken by the Lord through Hosea was that he should get married. And if you were listening to the passage, you know it's a bit more complicated than that because God's command was for Hosea to marry a woman who had a rather tenuous connection to fidelity. The Bible said it much more clearly. This is probably what led the church father Jerome, who translated the Bible into Latin, to say this about Hosea. He said, If we have need of the Holy Spirit in understanding all of God's word, how much more when we come to Hosea must we pray, O oh Lord, help us to understand these mysteries. So I have prayed Jerome's prayer this week that God would help us to understand these mysteries. And I do believe the veil was lifted just a bit on part of the story. And for me, it was I couldn't stop thinking about those poor kids of Hosea's and Gomer's. During our, our Wednesday morning Bible study, Dan Oakley hit the nail right on the head when he said, Can you imagine naming your children the way Hosea named his? And whenever you run across a person with an unusual name, they can always say, that's what my parents named me, and shrug their shoulders. And I guess Hosea's kids could try that line, but the truth was that God had named each of them. God was the one who named them. There were three of them, Jezreel, and if you don't get what that means, you will. Lo Ruhama, which means no compassion. And Lo Ami, which means not my people. I mean, can you imagine just everyday life out in public with this family? They make a milk run to the Jerusalem Publix. They got the three kids in strollers, and a grandmotherly type leans over and says, Oh, what precious children you have there. What are their names? And Gomer looks at Hosea with daggers in her eyes and says, Well, he says the Lord told him these names. This is Jezreel. This is no compassion, and this is not my people. And the grandmother's jaw drops open and stays open. Oh, isn't that Mrs. Davidson over there? Excuse me. Off she goes. People in Bible times got named for totally different reasons than we name our kids today. I, mean, I don't think I've ever met anyone who explained their child's name by saying, the Lord told me what to call her. In the Bible, a child's name is often a symbol of what is hoped for in the child's life. Or it represents a promise of God. I mean, take Jesus, for example, Yeshua. It means God saves. What Jesus does is right there in Jesus' name. I mean, he wasn't named after an NFL star. They weren't hoping he'd play for the Jerusalem Broncos. They were hoping that it would be true that God saves. A lot of kids in the Bible get their name because of the manner in which they were born. You know the story of Jacob. He's trying to beat his twin out of the womb, so he grabs Esau's heel. So they named him Yaakov, which means heel grabber. But you are not defined by the circumstances of your birth, so you can get your name changed in the Bible. And Jacob does. His name is changed to Israel after he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And Israel means he strives or he contends. But folks, nowadays, they get named for all kinds of reasons. I, mean, I, I called my mom up this week, asked her how, how had they settled on Daniel for my name. Daniel means God is my judge in Hebrew. I thought maybe there was an angelic vision which prompted my naming. No, she said. She said, I was always liked that name. She said, I like Benjamin too, but when you were born, your father and I took one look at you and we said, he looks like a Daniel. I agree. I, I kind of do look like a Daniel. Do you think? <laughs> in East Tennessee, some years ago, a mother and a stepfather appeared before a magistrate to ask that their child, whose name was Messiah Martin, take on the stepfather's last name. And the judge said, sure. But they were shocked when the judge ordered that the child's first name be changed, too. The judge put in her order... Labeling this child Messiah places an undue burden on him that as a human being he cannot fulfill. She was removed from office. 
But Jezreel, Lo-Ruhamah, and Lo-Ami couldn't go to court, could they, to get their name changed because God had named them. And if you understand a bit about what was happening to Israel at the time Hosea was written, it'll start to make more sense, at least I hope. (laughs) It's around the year 750 BCE, just a couple of decades before the Assyrian Empire is going to come in and level the northern kingdom of Israel. And Hosea is prophesying about how the covenant between God and Israel had been broken by Israel. And God wants a divorce. So when God tells Hosea to marry a prostitute and to have kids with these awful names, the prophet is enacting in the very life of his family the pain of God breaking up with Israel. God actually brings a divorce case against Israel in chapter 4. He says, through Hosea, there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Israel had given herself over to idolatry. They had literal idols with mountaintop altars, altars, burnt offerings. The rupture of that relationship between God and Israel was felt in the life of Hosea and Gomer and their children. And I think it was a, it was a very real rupture. So that when Hosea and Gomer went to marital counseling, I imagine, I don't think Hosea could get away with saying, when the marital counselor says, well, what brings you in? I don't think he could get away by saying, well, this is all an elaborate metaphor for how Israel has been unfaithful to Yahweh. Because you still have to deal with the people that are living life in front of you. And those kids, those poor kids, I mean, can you imagine the years of therapy they would need? First, there was Jezreel. And and it's a little deceiving because Jezreel used to be this gorgeous valley in the hills of Samaria and Galilee. It has a lovely etymology. It really does. It means God plants. Isn't that lovely? I love that name. But unfortunately, the lovely valley had been the scene of some of the most violent bloodshed and atrocity in Israelite history. You can read about it in 2 Kings. Both the kings of the northern and southern kingdoms were slain at Jezreel. Jezebel, the the wife of King Ahab, who was a Baal worshiper, was thrown from a tower and trampled in Jezreel. Ahab's sons were executed in Jezreel. So it's not a nice place. And as some commentators have pointed out, naming your child Jezreel would be like calling your kid Wounded Knee or Chernobyl today. I didn't think that was funny, but somebody did. If the name used to mean God plants, the shocking history has taken all the beauty out of the etymology. God plants, sure, but human beings murder and kill. That's the deeper connotation. Well, that's Jezreel. The second child is named Lo-Ruhamah. It means not pitied or no compassion. Let's be honest. What a horrible name for a daughter. Lo-Ruhamah was the recipient of the curse of the covenant, not its blessing. The theology of Deuteronomy said that if you were faithful to the covenant, you'd be blessed. But if you were unfaithful, you'd be cursed. And there would be no compassionate for the covenant breakers. All these curses then are given in the prophetic words of Hosea. Because of Israel's infidelity, Yahweh says, I will take away my grain and my new wine when it is ready. I will stop all her celebrations. Her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed feasts. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. Look out. The curse of the covenant is coming. And God will turn away, not show compassion, not show pity, not show mercy. All the promises have been negated. And that gets written on the birth certificate of poor little Lo Ruhama. And that leaves us with the third-born child, a boy. His name was Lo-Ami. The Lo is a negation. It negates whatever comes after it. Lo-Ami, not my people. Call him Lo-Ami, God said to Hosea, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. That is heartbreaking. It should be heartbreaking for us to hear it. 
that you are no longer God's people and that God will no longer be God for you, it doesn't seem fair. God had said through Moses that he would deliver Israel from slavery and, and they would be his people. He would be their God. Wasn't that written on stone somewhere, irreversible? And I think Hosea said what was actually written on stone was the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And that had been broken again and again and again. It had been broken so many times it had been ground down to a a fine powder and the winds had carried it away. Maybe somebody had taken the powder and scattered it in the Jordan River or, or thrown it off the highest peak of Mount Sinai. Whatever had happened to the first commandment and many others had been forgotten in Israel. And so God says, I will not be God for you any longer. You are not my people. Lo, Ami. Do you know what I love about Scripture? What I love about Hosea, especially, about this stark and violent imagery of the language, when God turns everything around for the better, just like that, it makes the sudden reversal of all the darkness so much sweeter and redemptive. It is nothing short of the gospel. For as I read this text, I was desperately looking for the gospel in it, desperately searching for redemption. And the good news is there is redemption for Hosea's children and for us. The name you're born with may carry with it assumptions, hopes, and pride of your parents or your family of origin, but your name is not your destiny. Your name is not where redemption comes, because redemption comes only from a God who has decided to be God for us, no matter what. Confession time. May I enter the booth? When I turned 19 years old, I did something really, really stupid. Well, come to think of it, I did a lot of stupid things when I was 19. But this one thing I did, it got back to Mother... And we first had the opportunity to talk about it. She leaned in and she said, our name is Mud. Her fear was that my action had so tainted the family name there would be no coming back from it. But there was. Steadily, through repentance and action, there was redemption. But some names may never get redeemed, at least in this lifetime. Say the name Adolf Hitler, for example, and a shiver of revulsion and shame will run through your veins. Or Stalin or Pol Pot, people who murdered millions. The power of a name to inspire loathing is quite common, actually. It's hard to rebuild a reputation that is founded on mass murder. But so long as we search for redemption solely in our power, our will of the human spirit, we will never find it, I believe. Redemption is not something we work our way towards as if we get it like a merit badge in the scouts. It is solely in the power and the hands of the living God who decided to be for us. And so, even if the children of the living God decide for a season to reject God, go after foreign idols, flout the commandments, their rejection, God says, can never be final. For God to be for us means that God will not accept our rejection of God as final. I think that's what redemption is. No matter how many times we turn aside from God to the idols of this world, God will be waiting with a hand outstretched. There is no thing we can do or say or feel or try that will separate us from the love of God. But boy, it hurts when we try to separate, doesn't it? That hurt shows up in a thousand ways, from perhaps a lifetime of shame, of substance abuse, of betrayal, of cutoff. And many families cannot bear the intensity of being with one another. So there might be separation in the family. Perhaps it's a child who no longer speaks to their parents or siblings. Maybe you've experienced that in your family. There's a relative you haven't spoken to in years. It is some of the deepest pain, I believe of our lives can come from that kind of alienation. Jenny and I are fond of watching this TV show called Ozark. Any Ozark watchers out there? Literally two. (laughs) I was was really worried about spoiler alerts, but uh, Carolyn Mahaffey, Hal Meeks, uh, put your fingers in your ears. Just a small scene, not the whole plot, okay? 
We love this show. It's, a, it's about a family who gets forced to launder money for a drug cartel. Isn't that nice? On the outside, it's a typical American family, two spouses, uh, well, uh, two kids and a dog. And Charlotte is the teenage daughter, and she finds out that her mom and dad are laundering money for the drug dealers. So her reaction is interesting. She hires a lawyer to file a petition for emancipation from her parents. And if you don't know what that means, emancipation is like getting divorced, but it's the children getting divorced from the parents. She's ready to file. And the lawyer says she's got excellent grounds. Well, on this TV show, minor spoiler alert, the first time Charlotte finds that her life is unmanageable, she's run away, she's left the home, she's in real danger, she comes running back to the parents. And they throw open wide their arms in the door of their home, open back up the old bedroom, dust off the dresser, put fresh sheets on the bed. And sure, they were laundering money for the cartel. It was a messy family, just like Hosea and Gomer's family was messy. But for the parents, because that is their daughter, there is no court paper that can be filed that will end that relationship. You understand that, don't you? That openness to renewing the relationship is a little taste of what redemption is like. It's a little taste of what being saved is like. Because no matter what you've done, no matter how dark and shameful you think your most secret sin is, it will not keep you from God's love. The preacher John Claypool used to give this benediction that sums up the openness, I think, that God has to renewal of the covenantal relationship. Right at the end of the benediction, he'd say, you are being redeemed. It's present tense. That's the way God's love is. You are being redeemed. And so you may have your carefully curated social media appearance on the one hand, and then you may have, in reality, your day-to-day struggles. And those real struggles, no matter how dark they are, will not keep you from God's love because you are being redeemed. And each of those little children, Jezreel, Lo-Ruhama, Lo-Ami, each of them would be redeemed. Read it about it in the second chapter of Hosea when the curses against Israel read out loud. He reads the curses and just like that, at the snap of God's fingers, the whole situation is reversed. Therefore, God says, I am now going to allure her, that is Israel. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. There in the desert, there will be a renewal of the marital vows. And in that day, I will respond to the skies and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and oil. And they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant For myself in the land, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. To the one who was ripped up from God's nurturing soil, she will be replanted by God. Jezreel's name and the land will be redeemed. To the one on whom no compassion was shown, suddenly compassion will shower down. And to the people who have God, who have tried to break up, divorce, cut it off, end it, God says, you are my people and I am your God. You know, we think we have some notion of what God's love is, but we really don't. We try to use our rational minds and human language to border it in, encompass it, define it, categorize it, but we cannot. It is so beyond our comprehension. It defies our laws of physics and our language because no matter how many times we break up with God, God will always welcome us back because we are being redeemed. Amen?
is our tradition that when a word is said, that an invitation to dedication is given. As you've heard a prophetic and priestly word from Daniel about who we are and our opportunity to respond to our new names given by God, now is an opportunity for us to pray that through. We will sing a hymn about that dedication and giving our life to God. Let's stand and sing right now. Messages for me, take my silver. Each time we gather, we bring announcements and celebrations and some concerns, and I want to share a few of those with you this morning. Uh, First, uh, I want to thank everyone who helped to contribute to the Iodamas uh, mission uh, effort that we did last Sunday. We were packing hygiene kits for uh, inmates of Stewart Detention Facility and their families, and Nancy Hall uh, and her sister delivered those kits uh, to the charity that's helping to organize that yesterday. And uh, they brought back a very good word about all the people in the community who'd helped to, to chip in. And several people had come who, who aren't uh, members of Northside Drive to donate uh, downstairs during the fellowship uh, gathering that we had last Sunday. So I just wanted to give you that good report about the, the good work uh, that the people of this church are doing. Um, to continue that theme, we, James mentioned last week that we're, we're gathering books. If you have extra books that you would like to donate, we're gathering books that will be donated to prisons in the state of Georgia because there's a massive shortage of books. You can bring them to the church. If you know where the Art and the Soul room is, you can leave them there or can you check in at the front desk. So bring your books in over the next few weeks. We'll be organizing a donation for that. James mentioned earlier, I just wanted to reaffirm again for David Rowland and joined by his wife Margaret, we're so glad that you're here and you brought us uh, such a, a passionate word this morning. Thank you, David. Zach, it's been my pleasure to become friends with you over these last two years, and uh, I really am proud of being part of a church that ordains and sends ministers out into congregational ministry, so we're blessed to have you back with us this morning. Thank you, Zach. Some prayer concerns to bring to you this morning. Uh, Nancy Davis, our beloved uh, Nancy Davis, last week fractured her leg, the same exact leg she had fractured before that had sent her into Lindbrook. She had surgery that was successful. She's back at Lindbrook in the same room. Virginia and James and others have visited with her. Virginia's bringing her flowers tomorrow. I know that'll bring a smile to her lips. She has an unbeatable spirit, 
and uh, we pray for her because these are difficult days, I know. We pray for Barbara Ashley uh, because of her mother, who the family this week made the difficult decision uh, to place her mother on hospice care this week. So we'll be praying for that family um, as they provide care to her. Just before the service, I heard from uh, David and Andrew. Um, Andrew's uncle Gene passed away, and they said, we wish we could be with you this morning. We're headed to Thomaston, Georgia, for the funeral. So we pray for David and Andrew and uncle Gene. Now, many to pray for, many that you have on your hearts, and we lift them up now to God. I'm so grateful uh, to be worshiping in a church with Joel Stauffer, a talented musician who will help us continue our worship. Thank you, Joel.
All-loving God, we give thanks for the power of music that can help us up when we are low, that can lift us up when we are laid down. We give thanks for a song in our hearts as well as our ears and a text that will carry us into the week through the low times, the difficult times, and the joyful times. Receive these gifts as gratitude. Bless these tithes and offerings and us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Depart now in the fellowship of God the Father, and as you go, remember, in the goodness of God, you were born into this world. By the grace of God, you have been kept all the day long, even until this hour. And by the love of God, fully revealed in the face of Jesus, you are being redeemed. Amen.